0: And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist Gary Machuda. And welcome, everyone, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virtual Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. And rock and roll through the week. Man, we're all ready to Wednesday, and we have a fantastic show today. As you know, we're gone person by person, day by day, through the triumvirate there at uh, CrossTheTiber.org. We're going to talk to the third member frequent guest on the show, Benjamin Handelman is going to be joining us. Benjamin, as you know, is a convert to the Catholic faith, and his expertise is going to be the topic that we're going to talk about, namely the gospel and justification. Uh, He's done a lot of great work on the topic of justification, and as you know, with CrossTheTiber.org, it's kind of like um, a place for seekers, maybe people on the journey towards Catholicism, that... uh, they pair people that are on similar journeys and uh kind of do sort of what you would do in ocia or rcia um kind of form- forming the faith answering questions doing apologetics so he he's uh worked in this field not only you know the journey himself coming into the catholic church but he's helped a lot of people also on the journey on this area so that's going to be a ton of fun on the other side of the break we're going to get into one of the two pillars of the Protestant Reformation, justification. In other words, I I know us Catholics, we're not really familiar with the term justification, so let me just give you a quick definition. It's basically how God brings us from being out of his favor into his favor, how he makes us from being unsaved to being saved, how he makes us from non-acceptable to being acceptable. And uh, so it's very important. It's really a major issue within the wider scope of talking about salvation. And so we're going to be chatting with Ben on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We have our Finding the Fallacy segment where we try to sharpen our critical thinking skills. Today's informal fallacy is the fallacy of the furtive fallacy. Um Interesting fallacy indeed, uh, it's something that we encounter a lot when we're defending the faith, especially if you you ever encounter non-Catholic material on social media and stuff, you, you'll see this all over the place on social media. And also we're going to meet an early church father. Today's early church father, I would venture to say is not very well known unless you're really into apologetics or you've studied the issue of the papacy. And that is St. Dionysius of Corinth. So we're going to learn a little bit about St. Dionysius of Corinth. We're going to read a little bit of some of his surviving writings. And kind of fill out our understanding of the history of the church. And all that's coming up on today's program. But before we get to that, I want to welcome all of you to the show. So welcome aboard all of you listening on radio around the country. And of course, live stream. How are you doing? and all of you both listening and watching via the internet. It's great to have you on board. And by the way, if maybe you're in a discussion with a non-Catholic and it's on justification, you don't really, uh, maybe you don't have a really good grasp of the topic, or maybe there's questions that you're not sure how to answer, you definitely want to hear our interview with uh, Ben Handelman. But maybe circumstances are working against you. Maybe you're getting called into a meeting or... Uh, There's something else coming up on your radar screen and you have to miss something. Well, don't worry. Just go to VirginMostPowerfulRadio.org. Click on Hands-On Apologetics. And you'll have all the programs that we do here in the dojo (coughs) right up there available for your download. You can listen to it. Share it with friends. Use it as a tool. And it's so simple. Just VirginMostPowerfulRadio.org. Click on the show name and you got all the programs right there. Very, very powerful archive of information that we've done over the years. And make use of it, folks. It's one of those tools that uh, we're very fortunate to have. So make the best of it. Um, Also, want to give you the official Dojo mailbox. If you'd like to get a hold of me, the sensei, you can do so via email. Just send it to questions at handsonapologetics.com Again, that's questions at handsonapologetics.com. And that does come directly to me and I do read them and I try to reply ASAP. <coughs> By the way, um, I, I think I mentioned this on the program. Um, my, I am migrating, I should say it's an ongoing process. I'm in the process of migrating my data from my old computer to my new computer and it's very possible that in the process I might lose some emails so if you haven't heard from me and you've recently emailed me please send me an email again you know please re- uh, repeat it uh, just because it's quite possible that somewhere in all this migration I might have accidentally deleted it or it sent some weird folder who knows <coughs> So just go ahead and resend it and uh, I'll send you my apologies in advance because that is a possibility. It's definitely a possibility. Okay, so let's go to the finding of fallacy for today. It's the informal fallacy of the furtive fallacy. Furtive fallacy is a fallacy of emphasis on which the outcomes are asserted to have been caused by a hidden misconduct or wrongdoing of decision makers. So it, it's it's kind of a, a causal fallacy, and it's also one that that is um, what do I want to say? It, it doesn't give any causal links, but rather it just purports that whatever is being taught or whatever you know whatever situation is at hand, it's the result of a group of people, evildoers, wrongdoers, who are engaging in misconduct somewhere behind closed doors in some smoke-filled room somewhere. <coughs> yes, so the, the furtifelstie, excuse me, is the stuff of conspiracy theories. And man, do you run into this in Catholic apologetics. Uh, certainly, <coughs> you did probably more in the past, but it's certainly alive and well today where people will claim certain things happen because of you know, the connivings of some sort of secret society behind closed doors. And uh, usually those are just assertions. They never actually give you the smoking gun that links everything. Um, so you have to be careful about that. It's it's, um, it's definitely out there. I've run into it time and time again in regards to the Council of Trent with Protestants. Um, where they'll claim, like, as you know, my sweet spot is the canon, Old Testament canon. And time and time again... I'll get people who will say that the canon was uh, put together specifically to uh, react against Protestantism, and the reason why some books are affirmed and not others is because there is there is a, a, a book out there that supposedly undermines purgatory or something, and so you know there is these mechanisms happening behind the scenes that. Decided to pick these books and not some other books. And of course, that's entirely false. And it's not supported by any historic data. Because if you look at the deliberations of Trent, you find out they just wanted rubber stamp earlier councils. <coughs> and it had nothing to do with the doctrine of purgatory. But, you know, that's just a way of exploiting the fears and prejudice of your audience. And making a by- baseless assertion uh, that we call... The furtive fellowship. So be aware of it, folks. It's out there. Okay, let's meet an early church father for today, who is Saint Dionysius of Corinth. Saint Dionysius of Corinth flourished around 166, 174, somewhere between there. And as usual, folks, we don't have a lot of biographical material on this particular early church father. The time of his episcopate as bishop of Corinth is assigned Uh, to those dates, 166 to 174, solely because one of the fragments we have is a letter that he wrote to a Pope, Pope St. Soter. So uh, Soter reigned roughly around that time, so it's assumed that that's when he flourished because uh, that's the only historical thing we can hang our hat on, so to speak. Um, The fragments are actually quite important, like I said, especially for those who are defending the the historic roots of the papacy. For example, it it talks about uh, Peter and Paul's martyrdom in Rome. So uh, here's a fragment from Eusebius' Church History, Book 2, Chapter 25, Section 8. Uh, Eusebius writes that both Peter and Paul suffered martyrdom at the same time is affirmed as follows by Dionysius, Bishop of Corinth, to the Romans, quote, you have also, by your own very admonition, brought together the planting that was made by Peter and Paul at Rome and at Corinth, for both of them alike, planted in our Corinth and taught us, both alike, teaching similar, similarly in Italy, suffered martyrdom at the same time. So as you know, that's the third point of uh, Defending the papacy, first you have to show Roman primacy, or Petrine primacy, excuse me, Petrine primacy, apostolic succession, and then uh, that Peter died in Rome. So that third point is key here, because this is uh, key evidence from someone very early on that Peter and Paul did indeed uh, die to martyr to his death in Rome. Now, let's see, I'm just quickly scanning over here... Um, yeah, here's another fragment, uh, Eusebius says, in the same letter, Dionysius also makes mention of uh, the letter of Clement to the Corinthians. This is an uh, Apostolic Father, First Clement, indicating that from the beginning it was, according to ancient custom, read in the church. And that's important because it shows that uh, First Clement was received authoritatively by the church in Corinth. And that's our early church father for today dionysius of corinth coming up next benjamin Handelman. To talk about justification Stay tuned. now back to hands-on apologetics with gary machuda here's gary and welcome back everybody as i mentioned before the two big pillars of the protestant reformation are the bible alone and justification by faith alone And justification, quite frankly, for us Catholics, we probably never even hear about that term unless you're into apologetics. And so we need to get up to speed because this is a very important issue for non-Catholics and also for us as well. How does God transfer us from being unacceptable to himself to being acceptable? And to help us do that, we have a good friend, Benjamin Handelman, with us who is a former Baptist who converted to Catholicism. He is one of the three biggies over there at crossthetiber.org. In fact, we we talked to uh, Patrick Chester and also Noah Braddon two days before this. So this is the third of the triumvirate there. Uh, Benjamin now uh, uses his time engaging with Protestants at crossthetiber.org. His uh, particular emphasis in discussions is on faith and justification he also serves as a lecturer at his parish and a mo- uh moderator on the Catholicism uh Discord server as well. And Benjamin, welcome back to Hands on Apologetics.
1: Thank you, Gary. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. It's uh it's not too bad out. It's it's only uh sixty three out. It's uh it's only gonna be up to seventy two here today, so a little cold, but we'll manage.
0: Yeah, I uh, you have my deepest sympathies, my friend. <laughs> oh, sure, rub it in. You know, the first thing you say on my show, you start gloating about the perfect weather.
1: I just uh, want to point out, July of this year, I think we had 30 days or 31 days in a row where it was over 115. So yeah. there is a yeah, balance. You're
0: due. you're due. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, so um, any more work at uh, com, or
1: oh. was that... Oh, it's been quite busy. We uh, we had a major event last uh last week. I we hit 133,000 viewers for the finale. Wow. And uh we've got another event coming up uh in just a few days. So the day after Christmas is the World Rapid and Blitz Championship, which is in Uzbekistan, so that means I'll be waking up at uh midnight or 12:30 in the morning. But um <laughs> look, it, it's a it's a great job. It it pays my mortgage, it feeds my kids. Yeah. Can't be couldn't be happier.
0: There we go. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that that was fun. Uh, I'm so thankful for you to kinda of introduce me to this this whole other world I was completely unaware of of uh chest maniacs out there. But it's it's fun. It's fun to watch and uh you do a great job. Very professionally done and it just as you do on Cross <laughs> the right? With uh with your other friends, mm-hmm. uh helping people understand faith.
1: Well, we've been growing quite a bit lately. I guess uh, the holidays kind of gets people to think a little bit more about their faith, which um, with anyone familiar going to mass or if you're a Protestant, your Christmas service, um, you're probably more than familiar with that, right? You get like maybe five times the normal number of people there on mm-hmm. Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, yeah. um, which uh, I know a lot of people get kind of upset about the Christ or Christians and stuff. But it's actually um, – I believe it was Matt Frad that pointed out how it was actually like a really wonderful thing because like, at least they're coming in gives you a chance to talk to them, a chance for the Lord to reach out to them. And, uh, so I think around the holiday times, I think a lot of people think about this. We also think about those we've lost and maybe, you know, where they ended up and, um, kind of gets us to think a little bit more about the future and what our lives really mean. Um, yeah. And, uh, thankfully we've been seeing a lot of, of growth and, and certainly, and it's not a topic I want to delve into, but the Catholic Church may have been in the news a little bit the last couple of days. And so there's a lot of extra questions about those reasons, and, and people may be needing a little bit of uh, um, understanding and comfort, kind of, when the media kind of does its media thing about the faith. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, um, just a quick question, though. Uh, do you see a trend in... Uh, where people are coming from in terms of their their former traditions
1: for us and and sometimes i wonder if it's because it's mostly my background but it's um a lot of times the majority of them are former evangelicals okay um and then the second largest group would be former mainline protestants though there's there's such a blurring between those two the last um the last i don't know 15 20 years that it's really hard to separate them, right? And I think a lot of that is because the internet, you know, you may be a Presbyterian, but you're watching John MacArthur sermons or listening to James White on the dividing line or some other influence, you're listening to Hillsong music. So there's a lot more blurring than there used to be. We actually see very few come from the more traditional backgrounds like a Lutheran, for example. And then we have a handful of atheists, but with one exception, all of the atheists have been former protestants um where they were a protestant uh, maybe a fundamentalist usually um it'll be something like a fundamentalist background where they had a very strict understanding like they fell away from the faith in high school because their their former um church was so anti-evolution that they were told if you didn't believe in in creationism the 7-day like a literal 7 days of creation you were unsaved that would then make them an atheist when they went to high school and learned about evolution or something and and found it plausible. And then kind of coming back from that form of atheism to kind of to the faith or to a faith and finding Catholicism as kind of a, uh, let's call it a more science friendly form of Christianity. I think that's a fair way to to put it when compared to the fundamentalist. And, um, but, it, but it's hard to, do I count that person as an atheist or, or were they really a former evangelical that kind of fell away for a while and is coming back now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, that's interesting. It, as you know, I, uh, I help with the OCIA at my parish here in Michigan and this class or this, this group of people we have is about 90, 95% unchurched. Wow. Which is just weird because it's like we, we've we been g- getting a lot of evangelicals and things like that. So we've we been doing lots of Bible based things where we can assume, you know, certain information. But these people are blank slates. So we got to get down to some very basic catechesis. We were spoiled.
1: <laughs> I know in OCIAs at parishes um, that can I've not recently seen that but it can certainly be the case because a lot of times the people going through ICA maybe they're um, they're getting ready to get married in the parish and and the church requires you to be a Catholic to be married in the church. Um, there may be cases of like a family member or spouse kind of like pressuring like hey go do this you've you've not been to church in 17 years. It's time to come back. Um, for cross the Tiber, I think specifically because it's about questions, it's we're going to we're just less likely to get the the completely unchurched because the completely unchurched are just they're going to be open to um in in a different way to learning about the faith than someone who is um n- If if someone's completely unchurched, they're just going to, okay, well, the church teaches this, okay, I understand, and then move on to the next thing. Or maybe they have questions about it, but they're more of a technical nature. Whereas an evangelical may come to us on a topic like what we'll discuss today, justification, and they'll have real serious concerns about what the Catholic Church teaches about justification. Whereas an unchurched person, this is a completely foreign concept to begin with. So they're, they're less questioning the... Catholic Church's implementation of the concept, and more, the, maybe the idea of the concept at all. Um, so there, it's a, it's kind of a different perspective, and that kind of person is less likely to come to a group like ours.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so justification is, and like I said, it's kind of foreign territory for a lot of Catholics. Uh, you usually don't hear the term justification bandied about at your local parishes. So it's very true. Yeah. But... Well, we start with the definition then.
1: So I'm going to go into the definition, and then I just want to point out that this should be completely normal, and every Catholic should be fully familiar with this topic. Um, So I'm going to go out of the uh, Catholic Bible Dictionary here. I'm going to kind of switch up my resources a little bit because we always just quote the catechism's definition. So what this says is, uh, as an action, justification is the moment when God makes righteous the one who believes in Christ and establishes him or her in a covenant relationship with himself. As a process, justification is the growth in righteousness and grace that takes place in the believer who embraces the demands of the gospel and yields himself or herself to the leading of the Spirit. So this is written by Scott Hahn. In case anyone's wondering, well, Catholic Bible dictionary, what is that? This is Scott Hahn writing this definition. Um, he's the editor of that, that, uh, that book. Um, the first sentence is not something any Protestant would ever agree, disagree with. As an action, justification is the moment when God makes righteous the one who believes in Christ and establishes him or her in a covenant relationship with himself. If we think to the Mass, there's at least four times during the Mass. When we talk about God making us righteous, when we ask God for his mercy, when we ask him to redeem us, um, and I say at least four because I'm not counting whatever the readings of that day may be. We often read from such wonderful books as Romans or Galatians, Ephesians, which all bring up justification, um, the gospel, I mean, the gospel is going to mention justification more than once. And then, of course, the priest homily will often delve into this topic Um Maybe depending on the parish you're in. There may be certain parishes, unfortunately, where that topic isn't really broached much. But um, I know at my parish, we have some wonderful uh, priests from Africa. Um, Our pastor is actually from Kenya. Like He's often talking about topics related to justification, to atonement, to the mercy of God, to asking for God's forgiveness, asking for God to make us holy. Um, So it could just be the background of your local priest. And this topic, while it may seem a little bit esoteric to Catholics, like, well, of course, God justifies us. Um, To Protestants, and in particular evangelicals, this is the only topic. Everything hinges around justification. It is so critical to them. And you'll often hear phrases such as, Catholics deny the Gospel. Catholics anathematize the Gospel. The Catholic Church teaches a different Gospel. Because they conflate justification as part of the Gospel message itself. Now, I want to be clear. Justification is an incredibly important doctrine. It's it's one of the key important doctrines of the faith. Um, but but when we talk about what is the gospel, I guess, is something we should also go into because that's going to be part of this conversation. Now, the reason this is often a concern is because Protestants will quote Galatians. Uh, so Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven—this is verse 8—should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So they'll look at this and they'll say, well, Rome is teaching a different gospel because they teach a different form of justification. Therefore, Rome is non-Christian. Catholics are not Christians. Catholics are unsaved. And then they will you'll start hearing crazy stuff, like Jeff Durbin over here in Arizona will tell you that Catholics and Protestants can't even team up against abortion— That's crazy.
0: Uh, Well, I hear the music coming up, Ben. We'll hit the pause right there. We're chatting with Benjamin Handelman of CrossTheTiber.org. And justification, more to come right after this. Stay tuned.
1: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
0: And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Benjamin Handelman, talking about the issue of justification. And uh, yeah, so it, it is the ultimate uh, question for many Protestants, like you said. I mean, even uh, justification would separate us on some very important issues like pro-life
1: arena, like you mentioned right before the break. And that that's why I feel like this is such an important issue, because even if... Someone uh, doesn't decide to join the Catholic uh, faith, which would always, of course be a disappointment. If we can't even work together on issues in the real world, such as like helping those in need, um, issues like abortion, issues issues that are like central to the Christian life, like, then what is happening here and why? Why is there a division there when this shouldn't be a disagreement between us? So when we get this kind of remark that like, oh, they deny the gospel, I think the first thing we need to do is look at well what St. Paul's saying if they teach a different gospel than he taught. Well, what gospel did St. Paul teach? Well, thankfully, St. Paul actually wrote down his gospel for us. We, we have it. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. He gives us exactly his gospel. It's, it's there right in the text, and all Protestants have this in their Bible. So I don't want to read the whole thing here because then this, this whole show is just going to be me reading scripture, which is wonderful, but maybe not, not the best use of our time. Um, but I recommend everyone go check this out. And what he's basically doing, and I'll read the first couple of verses here. Now I'll remind you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on to list the life of Christ. Well, that's strange. Uh, the life of Christ is about Christ, not not our faith, right? It's about like Jesus. It's about Jesus coming to us, uh, teaching, um, dying, and being resurrected. And then he actually spends several verses talking about all the people Jesus appeared to: Cephas, which is Peter, the other apostles, to James, five hundred people, and then lastly, he appeared to Paul. That's a strange thing to include in your gospel message, but then not talk about how you're justified by only faith and nothing else. And that's because Paul didn't teach that. He never did. We don't even have to just take Paul's word on what the gospel is, because we can go look at what Jesus taught. So in the gospel of Mark, which is the widely understood to be the earliest written of the gospels. um, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then um, after this, he begins his ministry. So if we go to Mark 1, uh, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if the gospel is just faith alone in Jesus Christ, it's a little strange what Jesus would have been teaching here, considering his ministry had only just begun. There's one recorded miracle at this point, I guess two if you count his own baptism where uh, the father spoke and everything. Um, There's that and the wedding at Cana. Jesus is doing more with his ministry. His ministry, his gospel message is that he is God, that he's the Lord, he's the king of the universe. When we look at justification itself and it's this idea again um so we said this before the break that it's it's god making you righteous making you right wise making you holy if we look at this and justification is by faith um, which is what the protestants will teach and and we would agree in a sense but we need to look at what does that actually mean like where where is that coming from what what is faith right? So that's, we keep having to go to these definitions, but it's important when we're in these dialogues. Faith is absolutely the key part of justification. Without faith, you can't be justified. However, faith is more than just an intellectual assent. Faith is a specific Greek word here, pistos. And in first century Palestine, Roman, you know, uh, this is a Roman-occupied Palestine. And when I say Palestine, I don't mean our modern um, geopolitical situation. These are modern countries. We're not talking about them. We're talking about provinces in Rome. So in the Roman province of Palestine, you had a Roman government and a Roman society and something called a client-patron relationship between people. So if you had Pistus in your patron you didn't just pledge loyalty to them but, but there was there was actually like a reciprocal relationship like you were expected to follow up on that and we can actually see this in scripture so if we look at James 2 and you you we don't even have to go to the most famous like well um uh faith without works is is dead kind of stuff we can just look at um verse 22 here James is talking about Abraham being justified and and taking Isaac up to the altar. This is the same passage that Paul uses to just you know to point out justification of Abraham in Romans 5. But what James says here in verse 22 is interesting. He says you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Well, that's a really strange way to phrase things if works and faith are completely separate from each other when it comes to justification. yeah, Faith involves works. It's part of the process. It's not a separate thing. It's not, well, you have faith and then you have works. It's that your faith includes works. Right. Yeah. So it's... uh...
0: And that's something that you find that b- b- bifurcation all the time within evangelicalism, right? It's it's almost like th- they're almost contradictory to one another, right? So if you have faith, then you can't have any works. Or if you have works, then you can't really have faith, you know? It's
1: very true. And yeah. um, it's it's kind of easy to see how they got there. But I just want to quote one of my favorite apologists and he had this great statement he said that's not development in relation to the doctrine of justification he said that's creation ex nihilo and i don't know if you're familiar with this apologist name of gary Machuda. i said that um you said that you said that's not development that's creation ex nihilo oh wow okay yeah yeah that's awesome. i've got it i've got it written down in verbum so you must have said <laughs> So
0: I, yeah okay well, uh look, I'm I'm humbled that you did that, but uh, of course n- now I actually have uh, like something out there that uh,
1: people can quote. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, there's there's lots of things. I mean, there's there's this, this wonderful book, "The uh, Bolt Against <laughs> Reality." And I I gifted it to like seven people. This, you know, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so the reason they kind of bifurcate them is. Paul often talks about how we're justified by faith and not works of the law. Okay. There's those those two words at the end, they often get left off in this discussion. Oh, see Paul said we're justified by faith and not by works. He said we're justified by faith and not works of the law. Like we can't mm-hmm. we can't separate these two things. Right. These are uh critical parts of the understanding and the doctrine. In fact, often the illustration Paul uses is a specific work of the law, circumcision. So we can look at how Paul uses these terms, and it's very clear what he's talking about. Um, Let's see, if I look at Romans, for example, And we look at when he's talking about Abraham being justified in that very same um, interaction, if you will, uh, Abraham and Isaac. And he says, um, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So this is in Romans 4, uh, chapter 4. For if by Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted him to righteousness. Now to one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, but as his due. But for one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts as righteousness apart from his works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then this is the key part, because usually, again, Protestants are going to stop there. Like, see, it says works, it says works, it says wages. So verse nine here. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So what Paul's actually talking about here are specific works. The works of the law, which hadn't been written yet. Paul's actually directly addressing this here. We can see in other parts of scripture, if we go to Galatians, which is where we started with this. So in Galatians 5, um, you'll often hear Protestants quote Galatians 5.4. You are severed from Christ. You have been justified by the law. You who have fallen away from grace. But if we keep reading just just two more sentences, verse five, for through the spirit by faith, we are elves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. So, Paul, again, he's talking about circumcision when he comes to work. So why is he doing that? Well, but then he uses this strange phrase, faith working through love. Well, how can faith work if faith is faith alone and doesn't involve works? Well, faith works because faith includes works. Faith, to quote James, is completed by works. This isn't an issue of Paul versus James. This is an issue of Paul and James agree on something. And if you're reading scripture out of context, it's easy to try to separate the two. But they're actually agreeing here. They're both saying faith works. Faith includes works. Faith is completed by works, not works of the law. The law is fulfilled. Jesus Jesus redeemed us. But now we live with Jesus as our patron, who's kind of guiding and justifying us. And as we live out our Christian faith, as he called for us to do, and an easy example would be Matthew 25, which we definitely don't have time for me to read that whole thing. Go check it out. It's very clearly there in Scripture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, we're talking to Benjamin Handelman, org, Talking about justification. More to come right after this. Stay tuned. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, hands-on apologetics. We're chatting with uh, Benjamin Handelman, across the cyber.org, and talking about justification. And I love the way you laid that out, Benjamin, in terms of faith and good works and the works of the law, right? Because uh, works of law is incompatible with faith, but good works are compatible with faith. And if you don't make that distinction, uh, everything gets mixed up.
1: And something I always feel forced to clarify is there are works of the law that you should still be doing. Like, please don't murder anyone. I'd appreciate (laughs) it. Right. Don't commit adultery. Um, What Paul is saying here, St. Paul, and that's why in verse six, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Right. You're not saved by being uncircumcised. It's that this this is not part of the gospel. This is not part of what's saving you. Um this is a separate thing. And you're not saved by this. And that doesn't mean if you got circumcised you can't be saved. I've I've actually seen Protestants make that claim, which is they read their bibles it doesn't make any sense. I mean Paul even talks about how he had Timothy circumcised so he, that the Jews would receive him so he could preach to them. Um what it's saying is the works of the law like that's not how you're justified. And if you're using the works of the law to be justified, that's wrong. That's incorrect. That's not what saves you. And we as Catholics, we don't believe that, oh, well, I'm justified because I didn't murder anyone today. That's not why I'm justified. I'm justified through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And part of being a member of his body, the church, is that I live out the things he asked of me. I mean, even if we go back to Galatians 5, um, it, verse 14, for the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus talked about how the two most important commandments. Um, that was the second one. Uh, it summarizes. We're going to call what the last six of the the last six of the ten commandments. Whereas the um, Lord, the love God, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, is the, you know summarizes the first four, and it's the idea of these two things are the most important and the most critical things to understand. We can embrace the gospel as Catholics because we talk about it constantly at mass. We don't recognize sometimes that's what it's talking about. The priest is, I i actually can't remember a time I've ever heard a priest mention, mention justification um, in this same way. But it's important to be aware of these concepts because, again, if, if an evangelical comes up to you, this is a critical, critical thing to them. This is the critical thing. If you go look up all of, I don't know, Mike Winger has probably 15 videos on this topic alone, just this topic with hundreds of thousands of views. Right? James White has 30 years of radio shows, and probably half of them are about Catholics and justification. It's a crazy amount. The other half are King James only, so those are kind of entertaining. But a huge amount of conversation goes into this topic, um, the amount of debates that are out there. Gavin Ortlund's probably making a video on this topic uh, tomorrow or the day after. Like, it's well, he's, I think he's moving right now. But these are videos that are being made. And these are videos that are concerning to people because you don't, as a Christian, want to find out that you're denying the gospel, that you're anathematizing the gospel, which you mentioned the Council of Trent at the op- in the opening of your show. And that's often what they'll do is they'll take things Council of Trent says out of context. They'll use it in a way that makes it sound um, like it's saying something it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, we we just don't have enough time to go into that whole thing. Um, I highly recommend people check out, um, previous videos that you've had done, um, read the Council of Trent, session six yourselves. It explains itself and makes it very clear. Um, effectively what it's doing is not anathematizing the gospel. What it's saying is that if you're saying faith is only faith alone and nothing to do with works whatsoever, which again would be contrary to what St. Paul is saying, that's what is anathema. And to be clear, the Council of Trent can't anathematize Protestants. Anathema is you're, you're separated from the church, but Protestants aren't members of the Catholic Church, like the visible body, at least. So they can't you can't kick someone out that's not already in doesn't work. Right. Gary can't kick me off the show if I'm not already on the show. It doesn't. That's not how it happens. Um, So. these are terms that often get thrown around and misused. There's also a language difference between Catholics and Protestants that uh, create some of these issues. So I would also ask if you're engaging with Protestants on this topic, try to be charitable and listen to them. Because their concerns, while the subject they're incorrect about, their concerns are very real. They have a right to be fearful that we believe ourselves Christians if they really believe we aren't. Right. They have a right to understand that and be scared and say, oh, my gosh, like you, I'm, you're not saved. Like I'm I feel blessed that they want to try to, like, make sure that we are safe. That's wonderful. We just need to kind of help correct their errors and help them understand that. Like, no, it's, it's actually OK. Right. We're we're going to be OK. Um, You're misunderstanding what justification actually is. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. And uh, yeah, so you shouldn't be offended, you know, uh, when somebody Wants to, you know, take you apart over this issue. That's actually something good, right? They care about of course, you. yeah. And uh, you know, if they if they didn't want to address the issue, then uh, you know that's that bodes poorly for you in their eyes. Um, yeah. So, um, like I said, uh, I, like you said, uh, it's something that every Catholic should have a, a a basic working, at least a basic work understanding how to explain justification
1: they should and and i think if um if someone listens to this show and then on sunday when they go to mass um twice actually you have to go to mass twice on sunday this sunday everybody you have to go in the morning for christmas eve because it's sunday your sunday obligation and then you should be there at midnight because the midnight mass is the best one for christmas Day. we all understand this right (laughs) the lights are off the music's better there's more latin highly recommend it um, but if you listen to the to the words of the mass, not just the readings, not just the homily, but listen to what the priest is saying as part of the liturgy that he says every Sunday. Listen to the words of the Gloria. Listen to the prayers of the faithful. Listen to um, when we read the uh, the Nicene Creed, um, or the the Apostles' Creed sometimes, but either one. Um, listen to all these words that you hear every single mass, and I promise you'll hear what I've explained by justification in there multiple times because it's so important to our faith. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well,
0: Benjamin, I usually uh, have a little extra time to uh, talk about the ministry and such. So um, tell us a little bit about what exactly is cross the org and uh, what, what you guys have been up to recently.
1: So as we said, we um we appreciate it when Protestants do try to convert us because that means they care. And the reverse is true. Yep. If someone is not just a Protestant, an atheist, a Muslim, Mormon, any of these, any anything that's not Catholic, and they have questions about the church, um, what we try to do is help answer them. Unfortunately, there are um a lot of parishes are not well equipped on some of these topics. A lot of times, OCIA is led by volunteers who are um, maybe were not catechized in the best point in the church's history. Um, there's there's gaps in their knowledge, and often they're just not used to questions of this kind of nature. They're, they may be very familiar with Catholic things like why why um, how to say the rosary, but they may not understand why we say the rosary and why maybe someone would be concerned about praying to Mary or something along those lines. Like they don't have those answers. Um, justification. They may have heard of justification. They don't understand where the controversy is and why it's an issue. I've been told by Catholics, well, I don't see why this is such a big deal. no one. It, it's never really come up for me. It, it's a huge deal for a lot of people. It was a huge deal for me. So right. we're here to answer those questions. What we do is we have a Discord server. And if you reach out to us on our website, crossthetiber.org, um, We'll reply with the information to join. And um, the main way we answer questions is you post them in chat. Maybe you have citations, maybe there's there's a video or something that concerned you, and we'll respond to those. We'll answer questions about the faith, um, answer questions about, uh, that. in particular, where we kind of focus on the differences between what the Catholic Church teaches and maybe what you've heard about the Catholic Church from other sources about these topics. Maybe you have an evangelical background and then you hear a Catholic explanation and it sounds crazy to you because you don't use those words that way. Things we mentioned, praying to Mary. What does the word pray mean? Why do we say praying to Mary? We don't mean worship Mary. Well, how can that be? Aren't they, don't they mean the same thing? Not to us, they don't. And so those are the kind of differences we understand and we'll discuss. Yeah. We also do regular uh, lectures um and Q and A's. So what we'll do is we'll pick a topic. Um, say justification. Uh, I did this one about a month or two ago. G- give gave like a half hour talk and then I answered questions from the audience. We've even had we've had Gary on there a couple of times answering questions. and we've had others such as Michael Lofton or um some of your other guests. Um, like Swansana has been on, absolutely brilliant, mind blowing. Um, we had uh Keith uh Keith Nestor on. We've lots of people that'll come on. They'll talk about a certain topic and then answer the questions directly. So it gives you a chance to like, oh, my gosh, Gary is going to tell me about why the Old Testament canon is actually bigger than Protestants think it is. And he's going to have all these like great primary sources that he quotes from and and shows like really clear examples. And then if there's something I missed, it's not just a case of like, oh, well, I make a comment on a YouTube video. You can actually just ask directly like, hey, I don't understand. You you mentioned this, but you didn't discuss that. Why Why not? And what does this mean? So we try to get to the art of those questions and then help guide you. If you wish to become a Catholic, you, you still have to go to a local parish and join, join through that method, but we can stay with you. So if you have questions, your local parish is unequipped to answer. Maybe, maybe Gary's not leading your OCIA. Some, some lady who was formed in the seventies and didn't go to colleges. Um, we can still hang out with you and help answer those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Very good.
0: Have you had Pat Flynn on uh, as a presenter?
1: I have not. Let me write that name down.
0: Yeah, Pat Flynn would be excellent if you have some atheists. Um, the guy is, uh, he's brilliant. And uh, he's a former atheist who reasoned
1: himself into Catholicism. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. I uh, One of my favorite former atheist stories is there was a science fiction writer, uh, Gene Wolfe, um, very popular in the 80s. Uh, he actually invented the machine that makes Pringles. So, every oh, wow. time you eat Pringles, that was invented by a Catholic convert who uh, sadly passed away a few years ago. But he converted because his wife was Catholic. And so he had to start going through what we called RCAA classes back in the ancient times. Yeah. And uh, he became convinced of the faith and became a very devout Catholic. Wow. So, that's, so, that's amazing. It's, converts are great, I promise. Yes,
0: they are. They are the blessing church. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Gary. All right. That's Benjamin Handelman. Yeah, check out their stuff. Go to crossthetiber.org. And uh, if you know somebody who's thinking about becoming Catholic, that might be a a good first step towards the Catholic Church introduce them to them. All right. Well, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And coming up next, we have our fantastic show, uh, Cherry and Justice Show, coming at you. Thank you so much for listening, and God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow for this thing is called Hands on Allergetics. Bye bye, everyone. Have a great day.